the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 48. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. How are you? Oh, all right. I'm all right. Good. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you today. I'm happy to talk to you today, too. <laughs> I really, really am. I mean, um, by the time this airs, you know, it's always on different days than from when we record. But um, we were just chatting about, like, on podcast days, like, it's a different kind of a day of the week, right? We just recorded one yesterday, and now we're recording one today. So it's um, probably seems like it's an easy thing to do, um, that we just talk to somebody real quick, and it's over. But there's there's like mental work that goes into it beforehand. And there is a lot of mental work that goes into it. I mean, you know, especially when we have a guest, we take a lot of notes. We try to do a lot of research on the guests. And then this particular guest wrote a book. So we had to read the book, Mm -hmm. um, which I wanted to read the book anyway. But, um, you know, I had to read it probably more quickly than I normally read a book. And, uh, but yeah, it is probably more work than a lot of people I think. Read it, I read it so I read it so fast. I have to say, I um I haven't read a lot of books in the last year. Like in my beginning of my recovery, I read so many, so many books and so many memoirs and so many um just helpful books and in, in early recovery. And um I thought, you know, and I'm glad I was wrong about this, but I thought, am I gonna connect with this book because, you know, I never did drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not what this book, I, or at least, I mean, I know that's part of the book, but I connected with this book because I connected with her and her story and kind of like who she is and as being a woman. And so I don't feel like I had to do a lot of drugs to uh, read her book and or relate to it. And I just thought it was beautifully written. Well, and don't you find that that's the case whenever you go in with that sort of judgment, mm-hmm. like in a 12-step meeting, you go in, a lot of people go in thinking, I, I, I'm not going to relate to these people, They're, we don't have the same stories. But then you always find, even with an you know, 80-year-old man who's been sober for 40 years, you can still find something in his story that you can relate to. I've yeah. always found that to be the case. So, yeah. And it's, it's just beautiful. And so that's like when I dropped into this, I started reading it on the plane, going out to see my mom a couple weeks ago. And then I picked it up on the plane ride back and finished it that night. And I was like this, I just, I really was looking forward to talking to her. So yeah. I guess we're being yeah. kind of cryptic here. We should tell. We are. <laughs> Although Surprise. you've read the title, I'm sure, when you yeah. when you put your earbuds in. <laughs> but today we were talking to Amy Dresner. Yeah. Yeah. We're so excited to talk to her. She wrote a great book um, called My Fair Junkie. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of our listeners have read, have read and posted about it too. I've seen. read, posted it, or it's probably 
in the stack next to your bed, I bet. Um, But just to give you a little background of Amy Dresner, she is a former professional stand-up comic, which means she is very funny. Very funny. (laughs) Um, She's appeared at the Comedy Store, the Laugh Factory, the Improv um, since uh, 2012. She's been a contributing editor of the online addiction and recovery magazine, thefix.com. So you may have read some of her work over there, maybe even before you've, before she published her book. Um, she's also written for the Goodman project, the frisky refinery 29, and has been a regular contributor to addiction.com and psychology today, where she also has a blog called coming clean. Yeah. And what this else? is her debut. This is her debut book. And if you want to find out more about her, it's very easy to do so. She's at amydresner.com. Her Instagram handle is in Amy Dresner and Twitter as well. Is that right, Sandra? Yeah, Amy she's Dresner. at Amy Dresner on Twitter. And she, I first discovered Amy on Twitter um, because she's a writer and a comic. Her tweets are brilliant and funny. And I loved I loved it when she would tweet and she, she didn't, she, I remember her, I wasn't on Twitter a whole lot, but, um, I always looked forward to her tweets cause they were always very funny. So anyway, you can follow her over there too. Yeah. Well, she's got great style as well. And she's going to be uh, one of the speakers at the, she recovers LA event in the fall, which is, uh, September 14th through the 16th. And there's still yeah. tickets for that. If people want to get that. I talked about that last week and how I went to the She Recovers Sacred Pause Saturday thing in San Francisco. Well, this is their big meetup. It's going to be a three-day event at the Beverly Hilton, I believe. Beverly Hills right. Hilton. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be kind of glamorous and lovely. And we talk a little bit about that on the show. And, uh, yeah, if you want to get tickets to see her there, I think it's going to be awesome. I mean, she's mm-hmm. going to be surrounded by so much love from all the people that, you know, her trip. Yeah. Yeah. She's just, um, she's honest. She's so sweet. Um, self-deprecating too. And yeah. And just tells the truth. And that's what I really, that's what I dig about her. And and she's part of our unruffled podcast, secret Facebook group too, I should say. Oh, good. uh, People, we post this episode and you want to leave some comments about it. Um, you know, I'm not going to guarantee Amy's going to do anything, but I'm just saying she'll see it most likely. And that would be really nice if you guys appreciate the episode or if there's something that resonates with you, you know, leave a comment there. Sandra um, posts those on Monday and puts it, pins it to the top, you know, they're the re- most recent episode. And that's, you can do that with any episode that we post to the top of that feed. If you want to give any feedback on the episode and kind of keep the dialogue open, we invite our interviewees to be part of our group so that they can see your, your words. So, Yeah. And if you want yeah. to be part of that group, let us know. Just send us, send us a friend request on Facebook and we can add you. Yep. All right. Well, okay. it was a lovely talk and I can't, and, um, and I'm glad I didn't, um, you know, take the conversation in a wrong direction about rich role, but um, <laughs> there's some really, rich role talk. Just really glad we got that in there because I know you, know, you wanted some more details, Tammy. But... I did. I did. But I feel like me and Amy are going to talk about that off the show. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. But, um, There's, but, but, that's you know. an L.A. conversation for you. <laughs> I'm calming down about him. I just want you to know. Because I'm okay. kind of all, you know, I've told you. Julie's yeah. becoming the thing that I, the thing, the woman. 
um, that mm-hmm. I'm more interested in her story lately uh, about being his wife and uh, all her power and good work that she's doing. So, um, but we'll see. I, I, I mean, I don't mind a little Instagram story with ritual swimming. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not hurting yeah. anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Right. right? <sighs> I got to calm down. Okay. I hope you guys enjoy right. the show with Amy. <laughs> okay. Bye. Enjoy, Amy. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Amy. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I know. You're like the darling right now. You're like, I'm finding you all over the place. I know. Even my friends are sick of me. I'm sick of me. I did two podcasts (laughs) yesterday. I was like, I got to take a nap. I got to. I'm so tired of Amy Dresner. God, her story. Quiet. Amy, tell, tell, tell me when your book came out again, because I remember. It came out in September. September, um, 12th, okay. September 12th of this year, and the paperback will be released in uh, September, they're guessing, the 14th. Mm-hmm. So, so is know. this how it goes with books? Is it like a slow, sort of a slow uh, reckoning, kind of, where people start to, it gets passed around word of mouth? And I then- don't know. I mean, like, this is my first book. I think it's different when you're not like, like famous, like Kat Marnell or Russell Brand. You know what I mean? And or then you your don't book just book tour, or you don't do a you know. book tour and yeah, interviews I mean, and all that. Yeah. Well, publishers are hesitant to send sort of new writers on book tours because it's expensive, and you know they're not sure like they're gonna fly you somewhere and there'll be like you know nine people there, and they're like, uh. Right. I mean, so um. Yeah, I mean, I had a outside publicist. She was great. She got me an Elle magazine and the September issue of Elle magazine of last year where they, like, you know, compared me to Carrie Fisher's postcards from the edge and all this crazy stuff. Mm. I was like, who paid off this lady? I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, um, What a nice compliment. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It would be called One for the Ages. I was like, wow. Um, Mm. And then I was on the Doctors um, TV show and kind of stuff like that. But I think for a book like mine, it's been really sort of word of mouth and inside the recovery tribe. Hmm. Right. That's been passed along and someone read it and it was like, oh, my God. And they pass, you know, and it's like very much I'd never been on Instagram. And my publisher was like, you need to get on Instagram and. If you look on my Instagram, it's like a zillion pictures of my cat, Colonel Puff Puff. Everyone's like, that's not really great branding, Amy. I was like, I don't care. It is my world. But it probably gives you an opportunity to, opportunity to see who is reading your book. Because, I, I mean, the recovery community is so, I just think everybody's so supportive of each other. Especially yeah, if you're, if you're. Yeah, doing creative work. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. And I think that um, from what I'm hearing, like the messages I get, like people are just like, thank you for being so raw and honest. Like you really made me feel less alone and less ashamed. And like I'm sort of the sort of punk rock, Iggy Pop, like in your face, raw, you know, version of recovery. It's not sugar coated, it's really, you know, in your face and and on PC. And I think that some people are really responding to that. They're just kind of like, what a breath of fresh. Okay. You know? Well, I have to say, um, when I read your book, Amy, like, um, 
I'm kind of, you know, I, I did like I smoked pot when I was 30. So like I didn't do drugs, but I drank like a fish. Right. So, and I owned a wine bar and I know how to drink, but I don't feel like you needed to do that to read your book because I felt like the way that you wrote about things, I felt like you weren't gratuitous with, with what you were writing about. It was very matter of fact. And you didn't like when you were saying these really hard things, you were just like, boom, here it is. And you did it in like a short paragraph. And I was like, she said so much here. That t- that's Thank talent, you. right? You can say so much with not a lot of words. Like you just really boiled it down and then you moved on and it wasn't like a self-pity thing. It wasn't a pity party. I don't know. I just, I, I, pour, I just poured through that book so quickly. Thank you. I really wanted to get behind the feelings because I think that's really what, for me, using was about. And I think that like was like how to get away from my feelings, numb my feelings, change my feelings, you know. And I think that beyond, below all of the drug use is feelings, and everyone can identify with feelings. Yeah, definitely. You know, even you know the loneliness, the desolation, the self-hatred, the self-destruction, the hopelessness, all that kind of stuff. And even with the sex addiction stuff, even if people you know had never done that, which is something that I never thought was going to be in my experience ever, you know, mm-hmm. um, that. You know, everyone's been in a situation sexually where they did something that they didn't want to do with someone they didn't want to do it with because they felt, you know, like they couldn't say no or the person was going to get mad or they felt like in too far. Yeah. uh, Right. Or I couldn't make good decisions because I'd been drinking or doing things. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's done regrettable sexual stuff or, you know, and like or just like felt like I can't say no. It'll be I'll be prudish or just whatever you like can't get off that train. And so I feel like everyone, you know, can identify with those feelings, whether they, you know, became a sex addict or not. So I tried to really focus on sort of the underneath of that. You did a good well, job. You don't have to shoot Coke in your neck to read the book. It's like, that was, you know, right. I, I do not recommend, I do not recommend that. And I do not recommend that if you have epilepsy also not a great idea. Gosh, my, my former roommate had epilepsy and she was a big heavy drinker. And, um, when you were writing about that in there, I mean, she hurt herself in the shower one day and I was newly living with her and I was 20, I wasn't 21 yet because I wasn't drinking yet. And I said, she was like offering me drinks and I was like, Oh, I can't drink yet. I'm not 21. Cause I was that girl. I was, I was the good girl. Like when you were talking about in high school yeah, and do, that yeah. was me. But when she, when the epilepsy and with her drinking, I could see now when I put it all together when I was reading your book, I'm like, Oh my gosh, things were happening for her in a different way because of how much, yeah. you know, she was drinking too. So yeah, heavy drinking is definitely contributes to epileptic seizures. And I've fallen backwards in the bathtub and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you heard I cracked my head open and, you know, outside of a restaurant with other people from a meeting, I just face planted and broke a tooth and like oh, had stitches in my, you know, and it really scared people. There's like, well, was, there's still like blood on the sidewalk outside that restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, you know, it's really, yeah, epilepsy is much more terrifying, I think, for the people witnessing it because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm unconscious. You know what I mean? So right. I just wake up and it's like the paramedics and everyone else is like, oh, my God, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have epilepsy before? You, oh, no. Before the drug oh, no. use? OK. OK. Oh, no. I developed that in my 30s thanks to crystal meth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. OK. But I have all my teeth. And I look pretty good. And that's all that we're in LA. In LA, like, right. You know, it's like, hey, no one cares if you're brain damaged, you know, or if you're wearing a helmet. There are a lot of people who wear motor, you know, drive motorcycles, 
you know, scooters. It's like, but I still have my teeth and I don't look 148 years old, which is a miracle. Can you share with our listeners, or maybe there's a few people who haven't read your book, the um, how long that you've been clean and sober, Amy? Just to give them a frame of reference. Um, yeah, I've been, this time, it's not my first rodeo. I'm sort of, uh, I've been, a, I have been a relapser. Mm-hmm. Um, I had five years January 2nd. <sighs> That's so awesome. So, Yay. Um, and I've had time before and, um, and relapse. And I think that part of why I wrote the book also was to give people hope that, like, no matter how many times you've slipped or fallen down or lost Keep your time. back. Over, yeah, you just can you can still get it. If you're alive, yeah. you can get it. Like you just don't know when it's going to click. And I mean, I had to lose everything for it to really click and have like a huge sort of attitude adjustment, a character reassimilation that I needed. But I had, you know, 7 years without program. I've had three and a half years. I mean, I secretaried meetings, I had sponsees, and then I would just relapse and I would end up, you know, a newcomer again. And it was like I think a really important part is to not you know, buy into this sort of shame and ego and the hierarchy of time. It's like, who cares? You know, you're here to save your life. Like, you know, it it should really be about being inclusive and everyone's journey is so different. Some of us come in with a lot of trauma, you know, it's like everyone, you know, some of us come in with mental illness, like everyone's situation is different. And so it's like, I wasn't one of those people who like rolled into a meeting and like, got it. You know what I mean? Like God Mm -hmm. bless those people. But that was just not my experience. Right. Yeah. And I think right. when we go to meetings and you hear, um, you know, when, when people introduce themselves as newcomers, uh, first of all, it's so brave um, for people to do that. But I think what it what it, it just really informs the room for support is how I look at it. Like I'm going, yes. oh, I want to reach out to her after the meeting and maybe we'll have coffee. Um, it's right. not a punishment, I don't think, I, even though I'm sure it feels that way. It feels punishing. Um, it but can it, be embarrassing when you're mm-hmm. in the same crew and you're yeah, coming back and, you and you're sort of relapsing. You know. yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen people that, you know, keep relapsing and it's hard for them to make eye contact with people even. Yeah, they feel they really feel ashamed. so shamed. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, they feel or they don't want to identify or they don't. I've heard people say I would never, you know, I could never relapse because I could never come back. Yeah. And it's like, I just think that that's just not, I mean, relapse is a big part of most people's recovery and it's like a part of most diseases in general. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that we need to sort of cut some slack and, you know, applaud people for coming back and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, uh, one time somebody said, you know, it's not surprising that we keep doing it or that we relapse. It's surprising that we actually quit and it sticks, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, yeah, that's our go-to. I mean, to change the wiring is hard. And so, I mean, there are pl- people with double digit that, you know, relapse. So it's like, you know, I, that's what's scary. It's like, you're never totally safe. It's like, ooh, you know, it's frightening. Yeah. But I think when we, when you can be honest with yourself, like that's kind of what it seems like, um, especially in your book, when you're telling these stories, like you're really honest about what's happening. And I think yeah. I think that if we're lying to ourselves, right, we're we're not going to get well. Like, oh, absolutely. And that's what yeah. I think them introducing or saying you're a newcomer again or doing that kind of thing. I don't think it's to punish anybody. I think it's just so that you can be honest with yourself out loud and be witnessed. And I I don't know because I haven't had that experience yet. 
but it's not it's not great yeah no so 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 that's so it's easy for me to say right really easy for yeah, me to it's say not, it's not yeah I mean I, I've I've actually messaged with a lot of people and they're like I'm embarrassed to go back hmm. and I'm like you know what like it's not a competition right just you know or I, is there I, a finish line yeah. either you know I just I never cared what people thought about me like I just really was never interested in being queen of the drunks. My social capital wasn't based on sort of my higher, you know, my placement in the hierarchy of the program. Mm -hmm. I just didn't care. I was like, I am here to save my life, you know, and I just didn't really, you know, wasn't interested in all that. It's like, I think that's a very dangerous game. And, you know, with that power hierarchy comes all sorts of problems, not just time bullying, but also all the sexual predatory behavior, all of that. You know, anytime there's a power hierarchy, there's there's problems, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, I just I never really cared. You um, there's a part in the book. I, was, I don't think I wrote down the page, but you said um, this visit was a harsh reminder of how the public still sees alcoholics. I forget sometimes because in the program, there can be a weird type Mm -hmm. of reverse pride, a perverse hubris that comes for who had the lowest bottom and then rose Phoenix like from the ashes. And you said, I myself am guilty of this, but I think for many of us, it is actually a way to reframe the shame. If we can't laugh or revel in the degradation, how can we get past it? I really wow, like that, that was pretty passage. good writing. Wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I write that? Wow. Okay. I even highlighted it, and I even bent the page, which I normally don't like to do, but I did it. I was like, I want to remember that. But that's yeah, like what we're talking about. The problem in the program is sort of like, you know, the lower your bottom, sort of the cooler you are. Mm. You know, like, hey, I shot Coke in my eyeball. You know, it's like, you know, it's. but that also puts off people who just, sort mm-hmm. of drank too much and they're like oh god well mine wasn't that bad do I belong here it's like I that know. You know, I, so- yeah I was going to ask you about that about consequences and what you thought about people that that you know get off the bus before it slams into the wall I'm good. Thank God. Right right I know because <laughs> I think about I that I all the time you, you hear people like you know, all the time say, well, I didn't have a DUI or I never went to jail, never lived on the streets, but I don't, you know, consequences don't scare anyone straight. No, absolutely not. And I think like, wow, you knew where you needed to be before you had to be there. And it's like, you know, I was introduced to the program at 24 before, you know, sort of really things got gnarly before I had 5150s, before I got arrested, before all that. And I just, it didn't click for me. It didn't, I didn't like it. And it was also back in the day when being a drug addict was not sort of acceptable in the rooms. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, if you, if, like, I got so, you know, it was, I was in AA, I was in a rehab, they brought me to an AA meeting. And, you know, I was at the podium, I was really frightened. And someone yelled, Are you an alcoholic or not? And I was like, Oh my God. You know, and I started crying wow. and I never mm-hmm. went back. And it was like, I mean, I, I, I believe personally, it's all the same thing. It's like, it's, you can swap out substances, but it's all addiction and alcoholism. It's all the same thing. And so it's like, if you feel more comfortable going to NA or, you know, whatever, great. But like, I got sober in AA and I'm mostly a drug addict. Mm, right. You know? Yeah. So I think, um, yeah. I, I met some ladies at a retreat, um, and they were they go to Al-Anon, but they like to go to AA because they like they said there's a different vibe and that you just get these real well, that's for sure. stories. 
And they're like, so we like going to your meetings, even though it's not, you know, we're not alcoholic, right. our children are, but, but we but we like to go to your meetings. <laughs> yeah. I've been to a few Al-Anon meetings and I was just like, they're talking badly about my tribe. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't identify at all with any Al-Anon. I'm just like, you know, I was like, don't talk about my people like that. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Because I I just went to my first one with my mom when I was in Phoenix. But I wanted to go because I've been asking her to go for years. So you're right. It was a different thing because I'm here. I'm like, oh, they're actually talking about me. I'm the qualifier. I'm the qualifier in the room. Oh, right. It felt really weird and sort of accusive. And I was like, ew, I don't like that. (laughs) Right. But I wanted her to go. So I was like, I'll go with you. It's fine. We're here, you know. Um, Double meetings and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, um, both my parents went briefly and hated it. Uh-huh. You know, my mother went in Santa Fe and she's like, you know, most of the people there was like most like their husbands were alcoholics. None right. of their kids, even mm. though New Mexico has like the highest overdose rate of like any state, which I didn't know. Wow. Uh, and my dad went up in Ashland, Oregon, and he hated it too. He went for a while. He just found it really repetitive. And I guess he coined a term that they still use. <laughs> And What's that? <laughs> he's a writer and he's so sarcastic. And he said to me, I remember one day calling and he said, you used to be able to ruin my life and now you can't ruin my lunch. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and I was actually really angry because I'd lost all my manipulative power. You right. know what I mean? Right. And I was like, damn. Yeah, I know. It's a good, it's a good quote. I think they still use it. I like it. <laughs> so good fellas or something. I don't know. It's like brutal. I felt like you were, you were really kind um, and factual, you know, kind of matter of fact about your parents in the book. And that must love the, the description. She doesn't love it. <laughs> no. But you painted a picture, I think briefly, and you didn't dwell on that. You didn't dwell on her, you know? I mean, you, you told, a story and then we could we gathered by her absence maybe in the book of yeah. of what that relationship was or yeah i mean we're close now and she just broke her hip unfortunately which is just so brutal and it's uh. like you know i went to santa fe to you know to visit and stuff like that but it's like you know she's a, she's in recovery and um yeah we just you know it was just, i i didn't want to like say oh i'm i i find childhood stuff it's like is it, it's nature and it's, it's nature and nurture. Like I have exactly. so much genetic stuff. And then of course, I mean, there are people who have much worse childhoods than me who aren't alcoholics and addicts. Right. So it's like, you know, to blame it all on that just seems ridiculous. And it's like, I think it's uninteresting. And actually I think it was my editor was like, tell us more about your background. I was like, okay. Um, I didn't want to blame anyone. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't think that that works. And it's like, also, it doesn't matter who created your problem, genetics or trauma or whatever. It's yours to fix. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Which is what you get to do when you, if you work the steps, you know? Of course. Um, yeah. Which is so empowering to just mm-hmm. go from being sick to going, oh, wait, wow. I don't, if I don't I have stop- to drink over that or yeah. I don't have to use over that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like. Yeah, I found that really, like, I, I was like, ooh, I'm not who I thought I was. I thought I was, like, a really nice person, and I'm sort of manipulative and abusive. I was like, yikes. And then when I, and I realized, too, it was like, oh, if I change, if I stop doing these things, 
maybe this other stuff will stop happening to me. Hmm. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, and because I felt trapped, you know, you start to feel trapped by your life and you're like, I'm cursed. And why is this stuff happening to me? And you feel like a victim. Mm-hmm. You do the steps, you realize you're creating that. Right. And so if you change, everything changes. And that's exactly what happened. And and I think when you start having that realization, like I, I didn't go into the rooms until I was around seven, well, exactly seven months sober and someone had suggested it. And it seems so outrageous to me. And then it just, all of it, like the, that she would even tell me to go. And then when I sat there listening to everybody, they seem so outrageous in the rooms that I'm like, I'm definitely going to go. I'm definitely going back to hear what they have to say tomorrow. Because I was fascinated that people were telling the truth or what I thought was their, you know, their versions of the truth. Like I felt like they were fascinating people. And I don't know that I saw it in myself so much because of course not in the beginning you don't, you're like, well, I'll sit here. I'm, I'm certainly not like them, but then, yeah, you start hearing it and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I like, them. like them. I yeah. knew, I knew, but I also, I don't know. I was creeped out by it. I was creeped out by the God stuff. I was creeped out by, you know, I'm Jewish. And so our creator and all that Christian language Mm -hmm. that's still used because of, you know, it evolved from the Oxford group kind of creeped me out, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, um, and it took me a really long time to sort of come back. I mean, I, I, you know, I joke, but it's like, I tried everything else. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, and I did, you know, I had an exorcism. I saw shaman. (laughs) I had, breath work, you know, I did, I did body work, you know, do all the other things. Oh yeah. Biofeedback, you know, it's like I went to Tijuana and had amino acids, you know, you know, pumped into my arm to rebalance my brain chemistry and remove my, and of course, none of that worked. Right. I was, I think I was just reading your article um, yesterday on the fix where you talk about that, when you talk about step six and you're talking about how you went to Mexico even to go do that to kind of get the amino acid therapy and all the things. And it was like, um, just because it was, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to go to AA, but I liked how you said it was, it's cognitive. When you said this, I think you said it on the rich roll podcast. I heard it and took a note and you were like, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. It is. And when when you just said it like Mm -hmm. that, it's like, I wonder if if other people could hear it that way, if that would be more acceptable, you know, to at least to to just give it a try again, not everybody's, it's not going to be their jam, but to at least like, and when I looked at it that way, when I heard you explain it that way, that was like, that could be a way in for somebody, you know, to hear it that way. Absolutely. It is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's acting yourself into right thinking. It's it's not waiting for the feelings to change. It's taking action no matter how you feel and letting that change your feelings, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, even if you're creeped out by the God stuff or the prayer stuff or whatever, and there's plenty of atheists and agnostics in the program, Mm -hmm. you know, that's for sure. But it's like, you know, um, that's the way, that's really what's worked for me is, you know, because I let my emotions drive me my entire life. And it's like, you know, oh, we're going to the left, we're going to the right, we're going this way, we're going to that way. And it's like, you don't end up achieving anything because your emotions change all the time. So it's just like you're just pulled along on a leash. And I really needed sort of a structure of like, you need to do this no matter how you feel, which is so hard for us because we have Mm -hmm. such big feelings. It's like the last (laughs) thing I want to do. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I learned for, you know, it took me a while, but I was like, you know, when I feel like it, I'll do it. And it's like, if you're waiting to feel ready or to feel like doing it, you will wait forever, my friend. Mm -hmm. 
whether that's to write a book or go to the gym or go to a meeting, whatever it is, get sober, like you'll wait forever. You'll well, never feel ready. You get ready by doing it. Absolutely. Well, in, uh, in the book, when you talk about, um, maybe I'll try to segue this a little bit, but, um, maybe not so eloquently, <laughs> um, you were talking, <laughs> you were talking about how you, um, didn't like morphine and you said all it, you, all it did was to make you sleepy and you thought that was boring. And you said, it didn't make me crafty or horny. <laughs> and I, I was like, ah, oh, okay. So this girl makes stuff. I like it. I like it. So I'm curious. <laughs> I hallucinated, too, that, like, they had taken all my valuables and put them in the safe. Oh. And so when they released me, I was like, where is my wallet? And da And they were, they were like, you never had that stuff with you. And I'm like, I did. And I had totally hallucinated. And it's like, I didn't, I don't like hallucinating. <laughs> right. You know that, at all. <laughs> that was <laughs> not your drug of choice. <laughs> yeah. I've never done acid. You know, it's like mushrooms are mild, but it's like. Yeah, my head is scary enough. I don't need to like pr- like have some weird movie going on. Like I'm delusional enough without other stuff to like make me hallucinate. <laughs> like no way. Um, <laughs> crafty. Yeah. Well, when I was a tweaker, I was really crafty. So we have, what does that mean? Like, what did that look like for you? Because I'm oh, very curious. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's so weird because the entire time I was on Crystal Meth, people were like, oh my God, did you like have sex with tons of strangers? I'm like, I didn't have sex with anybody. Like, I refinished furniture, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, I collaged a lot. <laughs> okay, this is making me so happy. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wrote a lot. I yeah. was very creative it made me very creative and I liked that and and, you know it started in San Francisco when I was doing spoken word and it was just like the words were just tumbling out of me and it's like you know also I would just like you know I had weird collections of like tiny like perfume bottles and strange sort of you know like lipsticks from the 60s and like you know weird stuff it's like but yeah I was very crafty it's like you tapped into your inner creative self then, right? And you know. So were you yeah. writing? So you're saying that you wrote then, but have you always been a writer? Have you been journaling yeah, and writing I since mean, you were a kid? Yeah, I've been writing since I was a kid. My dad's a writer. Um, you know, I wrote stories as a kid. And then also I wrote for some magazines in college. And then I sort of have been chronicling this stuff as I was going along. Like I always wanted to write a book. So I was chronicling sort of my drug use and my depression. I mean, I haven't read the stuff I wrote when I was high on meth because it's like, oh, my God, I don't even want to know what that's like, you know. Um, But, uh, yeah, and doing spoken words. So I've always been very verbal and creative. And, yeah, and I mean, I loved refinishing furniture. I mean, I don't think my neighbors loved hearing, you know, the sander at three in the morning, you know. (laughs) Like, they're just like, oh my God. She's at it again. Yeah. It's like, wow, she is on something, you know? But it's like, um, you know, and the paint remover and stuff like they're like, mmm, smells great, you know? Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, creativity is, I mean, both my parents are creatives. My father is a writer, my mother, you know, she's retired now, but she was a fashion designer and then a textile designer. Wow. Yeah. So it's in your, it's in your bones. Yeah. I grew up in a very creative household. So that was always sort of, you know, important. Did you have to establish routines, um, once you got sober and sort of segued into your writing career? 
which time? Oh, okay. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. I mean, how did that look? How do they look different? Okay. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, or fortunately, I had a trust fund for a lot of my using. So I didn't really have to work. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, you guys read that I took care of the quadriplegic guy and, yeah. I, you know, restaurant and stuff like that. So it was like, you know, but um, there were times when I was just too much in my addiction. I was just unemployable. I'd be fired from everything. You know, I was too emotional, you know. And so um, I was writing, but for myself. And then in 2012, I was asked by Anna David to, she was the editor of The Fix at that point, And she said, I want you to write a piece about sex and dating and sobriety. And I had been, I was a comic at the time and married. And I was like, are you asking me because I'm slutty or are you asking me because I'm, <laughs> because I'm funny or you know what I mean? Or both. And she's like, I just think you could write a great piece. So I wrote a piece and people loved it. And then I started freelancing for them and I've never stopped. Now, was it, did she ask you when you were sober or were you? Yes. Or, I'm oh, sober. Okay. Oh, yeah. All the pieces I wrote when, uh, for the fix, I was sober. Even, you know, when I would relapse, I wasn't writing when I was uh, loaded. I would yeah. write after and, and, you know, sort of give the report on, hey, you know, I got, you know, drank four loco and slipped my wrist and ended up the psych ward. And here's the story, you know. Mm-hmm. You, and so in doing that, Amy, do you just, is that like your medicine? Is that kind of like a. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For me, writing is, I mean, right now I've been in this really like heavy promotional period, I mean, um, for the book and on all these podcasts and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, that's a very different headspace. Right. So I haven't written lately. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm a little bit more anxious and depressed mm-hmm. because I'm in like business promotional headspace. It's different. Yeah. It's a very different part of your brain. Um, but writing has always been my go-to, the way to, that I process feelings. Um, and also, you know, when you're really in the flow with any creative project, you're almost, you tap into another space. It's like transcendent, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, where something bigger is coming through. You're like, wow. And it's like, that's what I was looking for when I was getting high, Right. Was seeing to connect to something bigger and sort of get out of myself. And so when I'm really in the flow of writing and things are coming and it feels like, like, like you just read that piece to me. I'm like, I wrote that. Like, you know, what was I? I was like, someone, you know, right. It almost feels like you're channeling, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, that's so cool. And it's like, that's what I was looking for during all my drug use was like connection to something bigger, feeling like I was useful feeling like I could create something helpful and being in that flow, which is a very happy place where time just flies. Well, you're right. Your writing also feels, um, and and it's all connected here with these other themes in your book, but it's connected to service. And it seems like that really, um, I mean, that was a huge component when you wrote about being on, um, the chain gang and being and doing this, um, picking up trash in LA, like this humbling, beautiful act of service where, you know, there's nothing to figure out. You were saying there's like nothing I had to do to, except for to sweep. And, yeah, and you just got to be of service. Yeah. yeah. Well, well also not to go to jail. That was the right. other 
Okay, so, and that. That totally volunteered. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke, and I was like, they call it volunteer community service, like, and like the volunteer Chinese army, like, what am I volunteering for? Not to go to prison? Okay, you know. Um, you know, it was, that was very, manual labor is exhausting. Right. And I'm no spring chicken, so... And I hadn't worked out and I'm like a skinny desert Jew. And it's like that. It was exhaust. You know, I'm, used, I'm a writer. I'm used to sitting on my butt. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was exhausting. And also, God, it was kind of a relief to not be in your head all the time. Mm-hmm. So that repetitive manual labor was almost like a Zen sort of exercise. You know, it was like mm-hmm. mindfulness. It really was mindfulness. Once I got to that place, you know, believe me, I wasn't on the first day. I wasn't like, Yahoo, this is going to be mindfulness. and I'm going <laughs> to love it. And it's going to change my life. You know, it was not. It took me no. a little while for me to go, OK, like this can be the worst thing that ever happened to us or the best. And like, let's make a decision that it's the best thing that's going to happen to us. And let's find the lessons here and let's find the joy here. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I ever heard the phrase, if you want self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. I thought that was pretty brilliant. I, I, and it's like, why didn't that ever occur to me before? But it certainly works. And you wrote about that. I mean, you described that pretty beautifully without actually saying that um, in your book many times. Like right. when you t- took care of Eli and... When you had the baby for a little while, that was so sweet. I love I love the credits you wrote in the back to that mom though. You were, made me laugh. <laughs> I think you said something to her about she, that. What, what was the credit? Uh, let's see. It was something like, "I can't believe you let me take care of your kid," or, or something like. <laughs> uh, yeah, you trusted me with your child. Yeah, like I arrested for a felony and like. <laughs> like um, I just had, it was so funny that, you know, because there were so many moms in the sober living and they were all experts, you know, right. mm-hmm. she was a new mom. It was like three in the morning and she went to all the moms and they were like, please help me. And everyone did their special tricks that they were so proud of. And none of them worked to calm this kid down. And then she came to me and she was like, here, do so. And I was like, I am the most non-maternal person, like. You know, I've never had a, like, really? She's like, just try something. And so I just did that thing. I just, like I said in the book, I just threw over my shoulder like a sack of potatoes. And I was like, <laughs> remembered something that my mom used to do to me, which was called a ruru. Because my mom is, you know, speaks speak Spanish and lived in Oaxaca for 10 years. And so I just walked around the house just went, and the kid passed out mm. and everyone was like, oh. and I was like yeah, I am the baby whisperer okay? and I was kind of irritated but then you know I had a very special connection with that kid mm. and um that changed me I mean again being of service and being needed mm-hmm. those things change you and it's like I think we have this weird idea of self-esteem from psychology it's like you're just supposed to feel good about yourself some in some weird void. You know what I mean? Like how to build mm-hmm. self-esteem. But it never tells you, like, do something that makes you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said you said you idiotically trusted me with your child. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you said nothing you, ever happened. Nothing you, ever happened. Yeah. Who loved me like a sister and idiotically trusted me with her child. <laughs> I know. I just thought that was funny. It was like, you know, because everyone else was like, oh, my God, really? Like, she was, like, arrested for a felony and violent, and she was a drug. Like, she, you know, I was pretty crazy in early sobriety. It seemed like, got, um, it seemed, I'm sorry. Hold on. I, I got a message from someone from the rehab. She's like, I just read your book, and thank God some of us make it. And she's like, I remember, you know, you were out of your mind. <laughs> just drive you around to appointments and meetings. She's like, but oh, you were so, so lovable. And it's just like, I'm so proud of you, and you're my hero. And it's like, you know, and, and I think that, like, I remember the people in treatment who treated me with love and respect despite how ill I was and, and who sort of saw who I could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not sort of who I was at the time, which was someone who was very, very ill with addiction and a little bit of mental illness and having a nervous breakdown, going through a divorce and a criminal trial. It wasn't fun. Well, well like, all of that can be super dramatic, right? But like right. I said, when you wrote about it, you were just very matter of fact about it. So it didn't have this other big um, thing going on that was just drama, drama, drama. It was very, I just wanted to follow along. I wanted to like follow along. And you seemed, and from what I gathered from how you wrote about the women that you interacted with in the book, it just seemed like you were a really good person. And really? Having- God, God, some people think I was really an a-hole. Like they were like, God, you seem like such a jerk. It's like, well, that's if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're not being honest enough. Like if I was a delightful person while I was using and mentally ill, I would have never gotten sober. Like I I had a lot of entitlement and judgment. And I tried to be honest about that and show a transformation. No, and, but I think your heart is what came through, like, with your oh, writing. Good. Like, that's good, what it didn't mean, like, you're a goody-goody, like, it, like, all this stuff was just rainbows and sunshine and unicorns. But right. no, but I felt like the women in your life, like Linda, and... Oh, um, yeah, my bestie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, such a good friend, right? Really, um, such a good friend, yeah. Are you guys, you're still besties, yeah? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. she just she's laid out with that flu. She had a, a fever of 101 for over five days. She felt like she was going to die. I was oh, like, God. oh, my God. And then I have another friend. She's not in the book, and she's really pissed about it. Everyone who's in the book <laughs> is pissed about it, right? And everyone who's not in the book is pissed about Are it. Are pissed so, about it, yeah. Right? You can't make everyone happy. But <laughs> I have, um, I have uh, another best friend who, when my mom broke her hip, organized every, went with me to Santa Fe for five days, organized the flights, fronted all the money, or got the car, like just mm-hmm. cleaned my mom's house, like, Got a cooler so my mom could eat her weird goat's milk yogurt from Whole Foods in this horrible hospital. Like, took care of everything. Hmm, and it's like, awesome. those are the kind of friends, like, those are the kind of friends you get when you learn how to show up for people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I like just how you, you, you just didn't put a whole lot of value either way on your story. You didn't paint it as a picture that we should feel sorry for you or, or anything like that. You did. You just told the story and, um, I think you did that so well. I I was curious, is depression still a part, a part of your story? I mean, yeah, it's like, that's something that I inherited. I mean, it's really, I wrote a piece for the fix about, no, actually it's on my, it's on my blog about my family tree. I mean, I have so many people in my family that have been in asylums and had electroconvulsive therapy and killed themselves and like you know 
it's like depression I de- is definitely, you know, is is a genetic thing. And I, you know, I had it, I, I felt it coming on like at 15. And then I had like a full-blown nervous breakdown at 19. And so it's still something I struggle with and I'm on medication. But, you know, medication doesn't fix it. It's like, you know, it doesn't, you're lucky if it makes you a little bit undepressed and puts a net under you and you have more days where you're kind of like, okay, I can function. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh, it makes you high. You're not sober. It's like, oh, please. No. If I, I wouldn't have smoked meth on top of Prozac and like six other psych meds if it made me high. Come on. Right. But, um, yeah, it's something I struggle with, but I accept that that's part of who I am and I you know, do stuff to, sometimes I just need to sleep. I just go, okay, here it comes. And I weather the storm and just kind of like wait for it to pass. I don't always try and fix it like I used to. And I don't try to escape it because I feel that's very addicty. Like, oh, here's an uncomfortable feeling. I must get out. Fix it. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's something that comes and goes and I accept that that's part of me. And, but it's never been as bad as it was like in the book. I mean, well, you know, I went through a breakup. Bradley and I broke up in April of last year, and wow! I mean, talk oh, about, talk about a depression! Yeah, he yeah, moved out, and I lost 15 pounds, and I started smoking, and my neighbors could hear me wailing through mm. the walls for six months, you know. Mm. And but I didn't pick up, and I got through it. That's so. I know that's heartbreak a sucks. Yeah. Heartbreak sucks. It's so so painful. Oh my god. Um, I'm still not over it. I'm still not over it. You know, it takes a long time. When I really love someone, like, it takes years. I mean, I'm not, like, a stalker, but, like, (laughs) but it, you know, I mean, I, it takes me a long time. So, I'm a very deep-feeling person, you know. Yeah, I've heard that, um, that, yeah, relationships are, like, I mean, I don't know if they take exit polls or anything, but I think relationships are, like, the number one causes for of relapse. That's been my experience. I've relapsed mm-hmm. mostly over relationships in my, in the 20 years I've been in and out. Mostly relationships took me out. Mm, yeah. And I just didn't, this time I was, like, I cannot let it do it. Of course that was my first thought because I'm an addict. You know, I'm a recovering addict. You know, my first thought was like, I'm going to kill myself. And I was like, all right, let's calm down. And then <laughs> my second thought was like, I got to get high. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I just couldn't do it to my publisher. I couldn't destroy my life again. I knew it wasn't the answer. I'd done it so many times. I mean, can you imagine? They're like, well, our author couldn't be here, but she's Skyping in from her eighth rehab. Amy Dresner, are you there? Like, I just couldn't do it to the people that believed in me with the book. And I just... I've done it so many times. It's just not the answer. It's so Did hard you to, do yeah. anything differently though? Or did you just keep doing what you what you've been doing? That's been working like going to meetings or I just, yeah, I did a lot of breath work, which I talked about in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I got massages. I mean, I would cry. Like I even would get a manicure and the guy would touch my hand and I would just cry. I was like, mm-hmm. someone's touching me. I was like, oh my God, Amy, get it together. You know, it's like, um, yeah, I did it. The, you know, I didn't, I didn't really do anything different except probably a lot of extra breath work. And I really leaned on my friends mm-hmm. who, and also, you know, people, you know, even just like Instagram people who were going through heartbreaks would reach out to me or like, you know, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. You'll meet someone else. 
Like I thought that this person was the love of my life, turned out to be a love of my life. It's going to be okay. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. just so like just really leaned on women. Well, that's what seems for me. Like I thought, um, I thought I was done like making friends and having friends and the other friends I used to have were people that I drank with, you know, because they were my customers. They were the people that I, you know, that was my tribe. Right. And when I got sober, it was really kind of lonely and sad for me those first seven months that I was kind of doing it on my own. Oh, God, I can't even imagine doing it on your own. Oh. Yeah, it, it was it was it was interesting, you know, but there was these online. <laughs> I think through Instagram is how I made a connection with Holly and Laura. And Laura and I would would text each other on Friday nights. I mean, she was a few months sober and I was just right after her. And we used to text saying, like, Friday nights were really hard, but we tried yeah. to go to bed as early as we could so that the day would be over. <laughs> Seven o'clock, I got it. I'm like, it's yeah. 30. Is it too yeah. early to go to nope. bed? <laughs> nope. Never too early. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that it could, the day would just be over and I could hit the yeah. 7 a.m. meeting. You know, that was my thing for a while. Um but anyhow, that just yeah, the women um, that I've met have yeah. surprised me, and I've, I've surprised myself that I've let them in. You know, oh, yeah, it's been it's, it's been a, a new way. I can't even tell you, and that's why. So, like a lot of people reach out to me, and I'm talking this one girl through sort of a DUI case. You know, where she's not going to be able to drive, and she's got house arrest and an ankle, you know, all of it, and mm-hmm. she's just she's a chronic relapser, and it's like. You know, I talk to these people and talk them through it and just give them hope and like, you know, keep your sense of humor. This is temporary. You can get through this. You know, don't succumb to the idea of like, I am just an addict and I'll always be and like, screw it. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff. And it's like I found. Yeah, the people, uh, the women on Instagram were amazing. That that tribe is incredible, and that's how I got connected to like she recovers, and I'm speaking there in September. And I I'm know, like, oh, that's so exciting. I know, but I, they want me to do the gala, which means I have to wear a dress. <laughs> Wait, there's a gala? I'm going. I'm going to see you there. Oh, exciting! I didn't know about a gala. It's yeah. going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, six women. It's going to be amazing. Three days. Like, you know, Taryn's going to do yoga. There's amazing speakers. Um, Taryn- I bet you could get away with, like, an Yves Saint Laurent pantsuit. That's what I'm thinking, right? I think you right. can. I said, I asked that when, when I did it with Dawn. I'm like, can I do, like, a cool jumpsuit, you know? Because it's like, <laughs> she's almost like, oh, my God, cocktail. Like, it's my nightmare, you know? Like, Great. I'm like, great. I have like six months to freak out about what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to say. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, the good but, thing is there'll be no small talk at this event because everybody gets right down to business. Well, and we already know all of your business. <laughs> I know, right? She's like, just be yourself. I'm like, can I swear? She's like, be your obnoxious, irreverent self. Can yeah. Be you. Talk about. And I'm like, OK. Yeah. I, I just <laughs> no, went. I just went to Sacred Paws Saturday in San Francisco oh, with yeah. them. How was that? Well, there was a lot of F-bombs. So I'm just going to let you know. It was called Sacred Paws Saturday, and there's a lot of F-bombs. So you're good. you're safe. Good. You're totally fine. Good. And it was very, great. Very good on this podcast, as, as you've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to train myself because, you know, I'm doing radio shows, too, radio shows, too, and, like, live radio. It's like, ugh. You know, I don't want them to just beat me out so I sound like some weird truck driver it's like i grew up in beverly hills i'm educated it's like get it together amy you know what i mean you have a good vocabulary but <laughs> so sometimes it just like, feels so good to say that i know right? so I was like, I'm, 
I don't know, the unruffled. They talk about painting shears. I'm going to be very well behaved. <laughs> I was joking about that. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to swear. And I, oh, I wish I'd still sewed. You know, I was like, oh, they're going to hate me. <laughs> oh, no. Well, no, the only, <laughs> I was joking about the painting shears. That didn't translate, I don't think. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the, um, like when I got sober, like the year before I got sober, Amy, like I started drawing and painting. And so I think like there's this thing, like this thing in all of us that is, I mean, we think that everyone is creative. I mean, Sandra and I have talked about this before on the show that, but mostly lately what I've been thinking about is that even if women can't write or sew or, or don't want to do any of those things, not that they can't, that they don't want to, they're creating a new life that is being creative. Oh, absolutely. Right. Oh my God. Absolutely. And I think that's huge. I think that's super important to focus on. Like, we're creating new routines and rituals, and that's so important for me um, in sobriety. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, I was going to ask you the my last drink was on Groundhog Day um, in 2015, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize until the following year when I was coming up on my year. But you reference Groundhog Day in the book. And I was like, oh, she referenced, okay, that resonated with me. But you talked about how important routine and ritual was to your recovery. And I was thinking, like, it's like a different kind of Groundhog Day that we're having in recovery. Like a positive, you know. And I was just curious about your routines and rituals. I know we chatted briefly there about writing. But just do you have, like, a morning routine? Or are there certain things that, like, you have to do? Honestly, it's like... You know, I was meditating, but it made me feel too good, so I have stopped, and I need to start again. That's so, right? How alcoholic is that, right? Like, this is making me feel great. Stop. I'm going to mm-hmm. stop. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I was working out really uh, sort of methodically before I started the book, and once I started writing the book, and then, like, now I don't even know where the gym is. I don't remember. And, of course, I haven't frozen my membership because I'm, like, every day I'm, like, I'm going today. You know, it's like... <laughs> But that's so us. We're either doing it every day or we're not doing Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And it's like I have to really realize that with myself. It's like if I give myself an inch and let myself off a day, that's it. It's over. It's over. It's all or nothing. Yeah. It's like moderation is still not, you know, my forte at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, and I said something on the Ritual podcast, which really resonated with a lot of people. And it's in the book. And I just... I wanted to say it again, which was like, you know, for years, my father used to say to me, um, discipline creates stability. Stability doesn't create discipline. Right. And Mm -hmm. that I didn't get it and I couldn't figure it out. And I, again, it was connected to sort of like waiting to feel okay to do mm-hmm. the certain things where it's these certain disciplines and these certain routines that make you feel okay and create that inner stability and structure. So, um, it makes total sense. I know. I know. My dad's I'm writing brilliant. it down. I'm writing it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My dad's brilliant, but I was like, huh? You know, like 20 years it took me. And then I was like, oh. Now I get it. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of drugs and a lot of seizures that I can't figure that out. Like, wow. Um, can we can uh, we talk about ritual for a second? I'm sorry. Yeah. I just kind of have to because I kind of, I, I stalk him on the internet a little bit. And um, I watched his his Instagram stories maybe too much last summer. I'm just going to confess that to you, Amy. <laughs> I 
talk about it here on the show a little bit, um, a lot of it, whatever. Um, so did you get to go to his house? Yeah, I did. And was Julie there? House. No, his <sighs> kids were there and it was around Christmas mm-hmm. and his house is amazing. It's like the coolest house you've ever seen. It's all the way in Calabasas. He is the nicest person in the entire world hmm. um, and funny. And we did a two-hour interview and laughed, and we had a lot in common because, you know, sometimes you think like, oh, God, vegan athlete, like, oh, are they <laughs> going to be like this righteous, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, do you want me? I'm a couch potato and I eat meat. They're, he's like, yep, I want you, you know, and it's like, you know, and now I have like a zillion like vegan triathletes following me, and I just like, That's oh. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> but um, he's fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. he couldn't be nicer. And funnier and more lovely. And, you know, it's like everyone seems to be vegan now. I'm like, God, is that what I need to, you know, it's like it's, I used to make fun of vegans. And now, like, everyone I know is vegan. It's like I know. used to make fun of vegans, too. And I am mostly plant based now. I could See? call myself vegan. Yeah. But I tell you, I you feel better. It, yes. Like, okay. uh, yeah. Um, Tammy hates when I talk about poop, but really, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, it go changed ahead. my life in that department <laughs> so much so that I will never go back. <laughs> Amy, I love, so, I love animals. I love animals, but honestly, I'm not doing it for the animals. You're doing uh, it for the poop. I would do it. Let's see. I've lost so much. I still need to put on like ten or fifteen pounds um, for just you know my like my pants are still loose and it's like my body just kind of went in a shock you know like some people mm. eat their feelings and I just shut down and don't eat you know what I mean yeah and um it's like I don't want to be like Auschwitz winter casuals on stage people are like yikes you know what I mean so it's like <laughs> I need to eat I need to eat and gain some weight and so I'm scared that if I'm vegan I'll like lose more weight like I'm just trying to eat anything right now to put weight on I'm like mm. pasta bring it bread bring it you know what I mean like anything fattening like pizza let's do it you know what I mean just like to put some mm-hmm. weight on yeah yeah um, I, I, but uh yeah it's just yeah. like I don't know it's like it's so funny because I've so much of the stuff I used to make fun of I've become that in sobriety we talk about that all the time oh my god right it's like oh uh-huh. you know it's that, like, the contempt prior oh. to investigation thing. <laughs> right? Like, oh, you meditate and pray? Meh. It's like, it's like now it's like, oh, I used to smoke meth and now I'm gluten-free. I'm like, kill me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my yep. God. The, so my doctor just sent me my lab results, Amy, um, uh-huh. yesterday. And she's like, so I've been recommending, this is my doctor who helped me get sober, actually, because she put me on an elimination diet, which I didn't know what that was when she did it. But that's how I got sober was by eliminating alcohol for eight weeks. Oh, but then but then she's like, so I've been telling you to be vegetarian or vegan for, um, you know, three years. So, you know, so I'm sober just three years um, a couple weeks ago. And so oh. I'm like... So she's like, so I'm serious now. Like, you really need to adopt a vegetarian diet, preferably vegan. And I was like, fuck. Okay. All right. No, no, no. That was just yesterday (laughs) that I got that note. No, I got time. I got time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to, I, I don't know. I felt like when I gave up alcohol that I just, it was, pardon me. It seems so farty. Is it farty? Oh, I don't want to talk about that, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) 
like, no, I'm serious. Like, I talked to this guy who's newly sober, and he's like, well, I just became vegan. He's like, I, and I'm like, what do you eat? Because I don't cook. He's like, I eat, like, quinoa and beans and peppers. I'm like, oh, my God. You just, like, crop dust your way across the city? Like, <laughs> oh, I hope not. Sandra, help me here. Yes? That's Is that true? I'm telling you. You're saying yes. Yeah, yeah, oh, that happens. Okay. More, well, like I've shared, I'll go ahead and share it, Amy, since you're so honest about everything. I've shared it on the show before. <laughs> when I was at the end of my drinking and drinking, you know, 42 drinks a week of bourbon and when I was doing that I was farting like a crazy person so my body was breaking down and that's what got me into the doctor going okay I can't I, I, I can't keep lying about how much I drink a week. This has to have me stop farting. That's really what got me sober. Let's just lay it out here today. That's what really got me sober was the flatulence and that that's just what happened. So I don't know if I can be vegan because of this. I think I might have to go talk to Ritual about this. Oh, I don't know. He's so, so lovely. And his, the people who listen, like, they are the most loving mm. audience and I get messages still and people are like, you are hilarious and so lovely. And like, it was such I mean, a good interview. Like, yeah. I mean, amazing audience. Really Did you see his tent that he sleeps in by any chance? Mm, no, okay. I didn't know he slept in the tent. Yeah. He sleeps in a tent. <laughs> Okay, well, I know a lot of stuff. Later on, we can talk about this stuff. I won't, I won't make your interview about Ritual. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, we just, I saw his, uh, his beautiful house. They had a Christmas tree. I saw, I met his kids, and then we walked, I met his dogs, and then we went into his little office, and we, you know, talked for two, almost two hours. It was a great, it was It a was such interview. a good interview. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so does your impulsivity like show itself anymore do you do things to cure boredom now it seemed like that was something that you wrestled Ooh, with I really wrestled with that um you know how much of that was connected to my epilepsy also I mean that's you know it's obviously an, an, an addict thing like we have we don't have the best brake system that's like we've right the, we've know we know that biologically right. you know what I mean they've studied the prefrontal cortex of of addicts and alcoholics and it's like that's you know that brake system's blown out Right. Um, but you know, also that's where my hyperactive lesions are for my epilepsy is my prefrontal cortex. So, um, now that my epilepsy is completely under control and I have a completely normal EEG, I feel, well, first of all, those medications are so sedating. So I'm like, I can't be impulsive because I'm too tired. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I want to yell at that person. I need to take a nap. Okay. I'll yell um, they're very, on the unfortunate side of most anti-convulsive drugs is that they're sedating, you know, they're really make you tired. They're heavy duty and not fun. Um, I don't really do that anymore, to be honest. I don't want to make amends, number one. I did last year unblock my ex, yell at him, and then reblock him. So that was not... <laughs> A great moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? You mean you don't want to make more amends, is what you're saying? Like you don't want to do yeah, things that cause you to make a amends. Great moment where I unblocked <laughs> him and was like, rah, 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 and then blocked him again, and my, and then reported it after to my sponsor. He was like, "Well, sweetheart, I wish you would have called me before you did that, yeah. and now you owe an amends." I was like, "Oh." Uh. Um, 
I've learned that my feelings change. Like, you know, you can have a feeling in the moment that feels so right and strong. And if you just, it's like, just wait 20 minutes and sit on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take a bath, take a nap, you know, wash your dishes, take a walk and just see how you feel, you know, it's not, and then, and then, cause usually a lot of times it's, you know, you're like, whoa, I was really overreacting or blah, blah, blah. Um, so I don't know. I don't, you know, I've been celibate since my breakup. I don't really feel impulsive. I don't, I mean, I'm still emotional and I have big reactions, you know, to feelings. Um, but, um, I don't really do anything super stupid anymore. Do you think some of that comes with getting older? We talk yes. about this sometimes. I think some some things have changed. Just, I mean, of course, many things changed when I got sober. But I think, um, I think we're close to the same age, and you're just getting older. Some things have just really calmed down, yeah, or I just yeah, don't absolutely. have the energy for anymore. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I absolutely think so. And it's like, I just don't want to create wreckage, and I just don't. I just let things go now more too. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, I don't really have any impulsive crazy urges that I can think of and I use a lot of tools you know if I feel really imbalanced you know I I use my tools yeah so I was going to ask um you have a male sponsor um and I know that oh my god right like against the rules right which there's no which there's no rules (laughs) there's no rules right I know I do everything against the rules (laughs) my god you said junkie and that's a terrible word to use and clean and dirty and it's like oh yeah I mean whatever yeah but he sounds pretty awesome and he sounds like the right sponsor for you a lot of women and he has t- amazing boundaries. I feel completely safe talking to him about everything and anything. He's much older. Um, saying that, I've also had male sponsors where it didn't feel safe. Right. Um, where, you know, they cut out of the book one male sponsor who had sex with me during a relapse. Mm-hmm. And, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that, and then never called me again. I was like, oh, okay. So... You know, that's not my experience with this. I had another male sponsor prior to that who um, also had great boundaries with me. And this sponsor has great boundaries. And people, you know, are like, you have a male sponsor. And it's like, I think that it comes, I just, first of all, when AA started, most women were sponsored by men. Okay? Yeah. Number one. Because they're, you know, women were were new to the program. Um, Secondly, I think that, what if I was gay? Then should I have a sponsor or should I have a female sponsor? Like, you know, it just gets all complicated. And again, I think it's really one alcoholic, you know, helping another. And like, I wanted what he had. He, Mm -hmm. he, he had incredible compassion and he had a 45 year old year marriage and he was a hospice nurse. And he, and I was like, I wanted to learn some of the softness and compassion that Mm -hmm. he had, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's worked really well for me and, you know, people can judge that, but again, it's not, that's the reason to really like be like, like study the big book. Cause none of that's an, it's a suggestion. Let's remember right. that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's like, so if everyone has good boundaries and is, you know, clean about it, then it's, it's fine. But, um, I mean, I had a lesbian sponsor too, mm-hmm. you know, that was in the book, man, she, she really kicked my butt. She <laughs> 
He scared me. <laughs> I, I'm scared of my male sponsor, too. It's like, you know, I think it's kind of good to be scared of your sponsor a little bit. And I think that partly, you know, I'm so close to my dad. Yeah, that's I'm what I was thinking, primarily too. by my dad. And mm-hmm. so it's a lot easier for me to hear men. Mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable, like, receiving authoritative stuff from men. Because that makes I've sense. Had, you yeah, know I mean? because of the rela- yeah, because of your prior relationship with your yeah, 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 yeah. And I know a lot of women who hate women's meetings. They don't. Oh, I, they oh, don't go I to them. Flapping and yaying. It's like, <laughs> Yay! I'm like, oh, I know. Well, and it's like I have such a low voice. Someone thought I was trans the other day. I was like, oh my god, are you serious? Like, you know, I don't like, like. I don't feel feminine. I mean, I've gotten more feminine, but I have a very low voice. I dress like a homeless bassist from Reseda most of the time, you know, <laughs> like, so I feel weird in those meetings. I feel, despite my, you know, eyelash extensions and my, you know, acrylic nails, I feel like weirdly manly and like, um, I have close female friends and close male friends. I don't like female, I don't like fe- all women's meetings. I just don't. Yeah, yeah, you gotta go where you're know. comfortable. They, they feel whiny. I don't like them. I yeah, like I know them. a lot of women who don't go to them too. Yeah. And a lot. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all, no, no. I I used to go to this women's meeting, and I'd sit, of course, in the back row in the last chair up against the wall where nobody would see me. And now I'm like the gal that sits in the front row. I got my notebook. I'm taking notes. I'm just like happy to learn whatever anybody has to say. And I just, I, it's like my Tuesday night thing. Like Sandra used to say she got dressed up to go to AA meetings. And I used to, when I I was new too, I used to, I used to grab what it was ever on the ground, Ah! you know, and just go to my morning meetings and with my hair over my face because I was so ashamed. But now I'm in the front row. It's like a big night out. I get to meet my girlfriends for tacos afterwards. Like, I love it. I love it. But I do get what you're saying about all the cheerleading. Like, I get it. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I'm so stoked to be part of the She Recovers thing. And that's going to be 600 women. And I think that living in the sober living with women for two and a half years mm-hmm. bonded me to women in a way that I'd never been bonded to women before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I talk about that in the book. And um, so... But uh, the sponsor's been working for me, so why change it? Mm-hmm. No, no uh, that's what I like. But... You're doing it your way, which I think is also showing people who are reading your book. Like, it doesn't have to be this linear, um, rule-following way. That's the whole thing yeah, about recovery is that we each get right. to make our own. Not we each way. get to make yeah. our own, which is... Yeah, hard. I'm not anonymous, and people lose their minds about that, too. And it's like, you know, it's like... You know, I just, I feel like, you know, again, it's like... You've got to find your way to do it. It shouldn't feel like some rule, like, you know, all these rules and restrictions and regulations. And if you don't do it right, you're kicked out. Like, I don't like that. No, I don't think most addicts are like rebels. Most alcoholics and addicts are rebels. So that stuff doesn't work. Saying that, I do appreciate some of the routine and structure and discipline and that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, and I think but I think there's a middle ground. Both. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, I piss people off with my fixed pieces all the time. I'm sure I never read the comments. I don't know. 
<laughs> You're like, yeah. nope, gonna put that up and not look yeah, at it. Yeah, my dad told me, he's like, don't ever read comments or reviews. You'll either think you should have won a Pulitzer Prize or you're gonna want to throw yourself out a window. Do not do it. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> well, I think that that keeps you from writing your truth. Right. You're always gonna piss someone off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is my truth. And it's actually that rawness has helped a lot of people. They're like, oh my God, thank you. Mm hmm. It's like a relief to read yeah, people who like write that. like yeah, you do. Not a preachy, candy coated. They're like, God, it's so real. And it's like, we were talking, we were about to start talking before the thing was like, you know, there was stuff in that that I did not want to write about. Like the sex addiction stuff. There's mm-hmm. certain scenes I was like, oh God, I do not want to put this in the book. And I think instinctually, I know as a writer that the thing that you don't want to put on the page is exactly what you should put on the page. Yeah. That it's that thing that someone else is going to go, oh my God, me too. You know, right. it's that secret. It's that internal thing. And it's like the more specific and personal it is, the more universal it is. And, it, you know, part of me was hoping the editor would cut that. Right, which is going, yeah, I'm going to leave cut a couple black, other stuff. black dildo stuff. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That was like, I mean, my dad has not read that book. And it's like that, I just like, oh, I mean, that was the hardest scene to write. I was just like, I want, I just didn't, I don't even recognize that person. Like, why did I let him do that? Make me do that. Why did I say no? Like, why, you know what I mean? All of it. I just brought up Mm -hmm. so much humiliation and confusion and that kind of stuff. But it was like, that's the story. That had to be in there. Yeah. It's like, that's what happened. Well, and like you said, the universal part of it is that we can all see ourselves in situations that we say, why did I do that? You know, what, why did, what, what made me think that that was a good idea? Right. Of course. Like, why did I not like just leave or why, you know, we've all had poor sexual choices or felt pressured or, you know what I mean? Just like gone with the flow or whatever. And so I tried to kind of tap into the feelings, but they did cut out other slutty interludes, thank God. So it's like. But that one was an important pivotal point, it seemed for you to want to choose loving yourself more or get, you know, that you didn't deserve that. It's like, almost like you were the outside looking in at yourself. Like what, what, why am I doing this? Oh, it was so brutal. It was so brutal. And then calling that guy from, you know, SAA and then what happened with that for, you know, calling that guy for support and then what happened with that. And then I was yeah. like, oh, no more with this. And it yeah. was like, that was my, that was my bottom with that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not, you know, it's embarrassing, but bottoms are embarrassing and, right. you know, humiliating. They're not terrific. Right. But it, mm-hmm. it served this purpose for you, I think, to kind of, um, you know, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, like loving yeah. yourself, but you did. You 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 seemed to start picking you. And, yeah, and... I was like, no more of this. Yeah, no more, no more. This is too painful. You know, and as my sponsor, you know, when you stop a behavior, when what it's doing to you is worse than what it's doing for you. And, right. That's and like very like, good. Yeah, and place that's to where, draw the line. Yeah, yeah, that's where it really hit me. I was like, no yeah. way this anymore you know because like you you know I mean I've been I've been with the same person for for about a decade now but uh, you know I especially in my 20s there was many many times where I would justify my behavior and say you know I'm I'm 
sexually active and I'm doing this for me. Right, you know, of I, course. It's a feminist choice. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but then you're right. At some point that is the place to draw the line is it? it's not working for me anymore or it's working against me now. Um, it doesn't feel right, but it's, you, you really have to like stop and tap into your feelings. Like how is this actually, does this make, is, is it empowering or is it yeah. manipulative or, you yeah. know? Yeah. It was just a way to check out. It was a way to check out. Yeah. And avoid my feelings while keeping my sobriety and seek validation, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And it got very compulsive and scary. And it's not something that I ever thought would happen. I, I would become. I mean, that's, you know, those are the two things. Being a female <clears throat> perpetrator of domestic violence and being a female sex addict are both really rare. And people think, like, that's just, like, men's area. And it's like, that's not true. And I wanted to, you know, it's equal opportunity, both of those. And, you know, it's, it it was really hard to sort of own that stuff, but I just felt like I had to, it's the story, it's where my addiction brought me and maybe it will free someone else from some shame. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, I, I definitely related to many of your stories, not the exact details, but lots of the feelings. Not the black up. dildo. Not the black dildo. <laughs> I had a, yeah, I had a dildo story, but I'm going to keep that. Um, so, <laughs> this, it just occurred to me, Amy, that, and I wasn't planning on asking you this, but since you said anything goes, um, you can also say no. But um, today, I'm meeting my sponsor after we chat, and um, I'm about to embark on um, my fourth set step sex inventory. Now, I didn't do that the first time around when I did the 12. We kind of glossed over that Mm -hmm. and felt like there was nothing to address, of course, right? Nothing to see here. And then um, when I did my ninth step and I started making amends, I connected so many things Mm -hmm. to the people I was making the amends to and started thinking about, you know, a lot of stuff comes up. And so I've been putting off that work. And I guess my question is, if you have done one and if you have, is it similar I imagine to the fourth step because it is the fourth step for that. But yes. is it? Um, do you find that kind of relief, like you find when you work the amends with the with the regular fourth step? Is it in that same vein, um, or you know, it's like I felt relief telling my sponsor that stuff because he wasn't surprised by any of it. Like mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. Um, he okay. He's very. He has a lot. I've had a couple sponsors in this sobriety, and so we're on eight now. So mm-hmm. I haven't done my amends, but most of my amends that I look at are all exes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of the stuff with my sex inventory was making amends to myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You that know? makes sense. But um, I found it very freeing to talk, but I cried through the whole thing. Yeah. I and mean, I cried through the whole thing. And, um, yeah, a lot of it was sort of like lack of self-love, seeking validation, you know, manipulative, um, you know, lustful, overly lustful, um, impulsive. And I'd have to pull it up and look at it. But um, Mm -hmm. I think the sex inventory is so important because that really also changed the way that I looked at sex, which is like now, like, you know, any kind, I'm not interested. I'm interested in relationships. I'm interested in sex within a relationship only. That's it. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested. I'm too old for that other stuff. I'm not interested in it. 
It brought me to the darkest place ever. I would cry driving home. It was so humiliating. And I'm done with that. So it's like, it doesn't feel right for me. And, 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 and like you, I was like, you know, I did, I tried to cover it as like, I'm, you know, like I, I would like play the pink song, you know, I'm a slut like you. Like weird sort of empowerment, like I'm uh-huh. a, a female stud and like try and sort of, but I was like, this doesn't feel like me. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's growth, you know, that is just, that's just major growth right there because, you know, you no longer need somebody to make you feel better about yourself. You can just go ahead and feel good about yourself. Yeah. I mean, writing the book, honestly, and the responses I've gotten from women and and men too, I mean, has made me feel like I've done something with my life. I took 20 years of pain and struggle and degradation and turned it into a tool that is giving people hope and freedom. And that's like an incredible feeling, you know, you know, as my dad said, you know, and I said this on the doctors, he was just like, I, I have no more anger or shame or sadness about all those years. He's like, I see now that you went through it so you could write the book so you could help other people. And there's no higher calling than helping other people. Yeah, I was like, whoa, it's you true. Know? So, yeah. So, I mean, it makes it feel worth it. I'd go through it all again mm-hmm. to give to, to receive the messages that I receive where people are like, thank you for giving me the energy to save my own life. Like that kind of st- like heavy stuff yeah. that I fall, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Well, and that just gives you acceptance, you know, acceptance of, of, of the way it happened. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like not, I feel weirdly bulletproof. No one has really been like, ew, gross. Like, you know, that's not been the response. No. I think people, they're like, you're really brave. I'm like, or stupid. I don't know. We'll see, you know? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> honestly, I'm just raw and filterless. Like, so writing, that's the way I write. It's the way I've written for the fix for, for eight years, no, eight, six years. So it's like, I don't really know how to sort of put a filter and like polish it and make it more palatable. For That's just not my style. You know, I don't know if I broke that filter with this drugs and seizures, but it's like, I just am who I am. And when I write, that's who I am. And I tell the truth. I've always been like very, very truthful. Well, I'm not on Twitter much anymore, but I followed you on Twitter for a while. There was a time, there was a period of time where I was on Twitter a lot and you would crack me up. I'm like, when is Amy going to tweet again? <laughs> I should go poker and make her tweet again. <laughs> You really cracked me up. I really look forward to your tweets. Now I'm, I'm I don't know. I hardly open Twitter anymore. I don't know why, but anyway. What are you what are you mostly on Instagram? I guess Instagram now. Yeah. Are you still? Do you still tweet a lot? Mm. It's a great. It was a great platform for you. Yeah. No. I mean, because I as a as a word person, I like right. Twitter. Versus, right. You know, and it's like, I mean, I everyone's it. like, oh, God, your Instagram is just 900 pictures of your cat, Colonel Puff Puff. Like, get it together. Get your branding on point, Amy. Like, <laughs> I'm like, ah. um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I do both. I, I still do both. It's been hard, you know, right now with just doing like sort of balancing everything, you know, with my mother and, you know. There's a series of negotiations, you know, going on regarding a possible 
you know, series based on the book, which is super exciting, exciting, incredible. Yeah. So, but it's Hollywood, so we'll see, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> like a, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's like a dream come true. I'm like, what? Um, but yeah, I still do Twitter and, um, but it's mostly like promotional because I'm in this heavy promotional stage right now. And so it's like, I think people are kind of like, when are you going to just be funny and talk about your, you know, like I did that. I did something lately where I was like, oh, I made a, I made a meme from the Al Pacino Scarface thing where it's like, say hello to my little friend, anxiety. I was like, so happy that my depression isn't alone, isn't lonely anymore, has a new buddy, anxiety. You know, people really related to that because I've never had anxiety before. I have anxiety. I'm like, oh, this is fun. You know, it's like bad pain. You wake up, you're like, your heart, you know, it's like, you know, partly because things are happening. It's like, there was no pressure when you were a loser and you had nothing. Right. <laughs> there were no expectations, you know. People, were, my parents were like, "You made your bed, yay!" You know? <laughs> the bar was really low. <laughs> you took a shower, awesome. You know, now it's like completely different world. Right. <laughs> I notice how how responsive and nice you've been. I mean, not that you wouldn't be nice, but just to everyone. <laughs> Just to everyone on social media, it seems like you're, you know, because I'll post things and people put stuff and then I get paralyzed to respond. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, right. I have to respond in all these places. Um, but oh, you've I been know. super active and and responding to people. And I think that that just that takes a lot of time and energy, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I write to people. People message me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and and through my website. And I write back to every single person. Hmm. That's yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, well, because I'm so, I know that people feel connected to yeah. me because mm-hmm. the book is so raw. And it's like, I think, I mean, I'm so moved by the support and the love. And I think that it takes a lot of, you know, bravery to, you know, also to specific, specifically to reach out to someone you don't sure. know and right. say, oh my God, the book moved me so much. And then they're, they're blown away when I write back. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my god, I'm fan drilling out. I can't believe you wrote back so quickly. And it's like, I'm just an ex junkie who wrote a book. Like, calm down. Right. I'm not a celebrity. Like, you know. And it's like, it's just, I love the contact. I love the human contact and and the support. And it just, it means a lot to me. Where people are like, oh my god, I love this. And it's like, you know. So I just, it takes. Two, I don't know. I just, I do it really quickly. I see it, the thing, and I just like, you know, even if you're just do like a heart and prayer hands or something cheesy, whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, just acknowledge them and say thank you so much. It's like yeah. people love that. Seen and heard. Yeah, you, you're yeah, seeing them. Totally. You heard them. Everyone wants to be acknowledged, you know, and validated, especially if they're giving you love. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, that's important. So it's like, I think it's worth the time. Yeah, and that your work resonated with them, and yeah, they took the time to reach out. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's like, no, I am a nice person, despite, you know, what, how jerky I seem in parts of the book, you know, but it's like, I was jerky then, you know? (laughs) See, I didn't get you as jerky. I didn't get you as that. I just get that these, you were just like, this is what happened. Thank you. This is how I was. Yeah, some people were like, wow, she just like, sounds like an a-hole, like, (laughs) They're like, they're really, they were like, what a wasted life. Like, why'd she write the book? I was like, okay. Uh, but it was funny. It was funny when, uh, when my editor was going through it because she's much more PC than me. And she'd like, she would write notes like harsh question mark. <laughs> a little 
harsh, like, mm, you know, and, um, you know, it's like, I, you know, there was stuff that she tried to, I was like, you can't dilute my voice. You can't. Yeah. It's so important. Like the book's not PC. Yeah. It's not PC and I'm okay with that. And if it offends people, so be it. You know, I, I mean, I say this all the time. My dad is just like, if you're not pissing people off, you're not doing anything. No, you're just like, you're not going to please everyone. I mean, you're not going to. So it's like, be yourself. He's like, you have no choice anyway, Amy. You're so obnoxious. So it's like, but yeah, it was really funny with, with my editor. She's like, a little harsh. Like, mm, maybe cut, you know? <laughs> You're like, nope. She wanted to cut the vagina story. And I was like, no! I told <laughs> You're like, that's staying in. That's way it's in. That's such an important part of showing what it was like to be the only female in the chain gang. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I loved that story. Yeah, right? It was so funny. Vagina. And I was like, you know, yeah, how they're ch- how they're joking about it and I'm like, <laughs> you know. They're all they're all laughing and I'm like really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's so cool that you got to yeah, that you that you got to keep your you got to keep the parts of the book that you wanted and you got to really that it got to echo you as a person and your actual voice. Yeah, she really respected my voice. She really respected my voice. Like, you know, got it and whatever. And it was like, you know, yeah. How long did it take you to write the book, Amy? I mean, I know you've been kind of keeping the... You're going to be... And what? Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, just... I know that you might be doing it in snippets or journal style or whatever, but did you just, like, knock it out in three days or did you... Okay, so basically what happened was, oh, Colonel Puff Puff. Hello, Is he coming sir. in? Does he want to come on the show? Yeah. <laughs> Sandra's cat comes on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's sleeping right now. Um, so I had been, I was allowed to use some excerpts of some fixed pieces. The fix was very gracious in giving me license to do that. Oh, so God. that was really, really cool. And, um, and I thought it was important, too, because I wanted to, the fix was the platform that I sold my book on. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? I've yeah, been writing right. them for six years, and that was my main platform. You know, I'd written right. for other magazines, but that was like, you know, they have like millions of viewers, and it's like, um, and I have people who love me and people who hate me and whatever. So um, I wanted to bring attention to the fix, but and I'd been chronicling stuff, you know, for years because I'd wanted to write a book. I had like a couple of different versions, you know, of star- the, the beginnings of books on my computer, but. Um, I talked to the agent and he was like, great. Like, I love your idea. I pitched him the book idea. He's like, great. Okay, write me three chapters. And I was like, okay. So I wrote him three chapters and it was like 80 pages. And he's like, whoa, slow it down. <laughs> he was like, oh my God, like slow it down by half. Are you still on speed? Like slow down. And he was like, and you need also, like, it needs to be more novelistic and more, like, characters returning. And, you know, it was ve- it's very different from editorial writing, which all, which was all I had done before. Mm-hmm. You know, this, right. was, this was a marathon, and I had been doing sprints my whole life. So this was right. a completely different animal. So I took it, and I fleshed it out, and I sent him 150 pages. He's like, there we go. Okay. And then I wrote the proposal. And um, we sold it, and I had six months to finish it. Wow. Yeah. But you were, you but know. you were in the groove. You were like, "I'm doing this." I'm a fast writer, yeah. and also I also I just thought, you can't be late, Amy. 
You know, mm-hmm. you can't, they can't be like giving a bunch of money to like an ex drug addict and you don't deliver your manuscript. Like, you know, right. like I want typical. To yeah. yeah. I wanted to show them that I was like really reliable and I was so you could grateful. follow through. Yeah. I was so grateful to get a book deal. It's hard. You yeah. Know, like, very, very blessed to, to sell the book was to a, a big, wonderful publisher. And I was like, I'm very lucky. And so it just became, I mean, I had a three day a week job editing that I still have, but you know, I just, just jam, I just jammed. I just, I love it. it and was, you went up to enough. your three years, right? You went up to your th- yeah, three years of being years, sober. Yeah. Five years sober now. And that's how long that shows you how long it takes for a book to like, Go through legal vetting, go through copy editing, go mm-hmm. through normal editing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we'll get the galleys, da-da-da-da. You know, it's like, you know, it was released in September, and I got five years in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it takes process. a lot of time. Yeah, it's a long process. Uh, well, um, but it sounds like you really respond to outer, outer accountability, you know, that you're, that, that you wanted, you didn't want to disappoint anybody. And just like kind of what you said about, about not um, relapsing too. Like you, you, you knew that this book was coming out and that people were depending on you and that you weren't going to take that route again. And yes, the people counted on yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Which is odd. Cause I was so sort of rebellious and, you know, treatment and, you know, whatever, but it's like, um, yeah, I do. I do. It's a good point. I but this matters. Change. But it matters. It yeah, it matters. Well, to yeah, you. it matters. I don't want to let people down, especially if people give you an opportunity. And it's like, you know, there's also probably people pleasing in there. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't want to get fired by my sponsor, so I do what he says. And you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, I, yeah, I just, I feel like I was given like a really big opportunity, and so I. I like to respect that and be easy to work with and deliver on time and that kind of stuff, which is not who I used to be. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> you get to be you show, at all. We get to show up different. That's just, that's It's the, so cool, right? I mean, I'm yeah, like a exactly. different person. I'm like, huh? You know, mm-hmm. who's that person? Like, wow. I mean, that's what's so incredible about recovery is like you can completely transform and become who you want to be. And that's the attraction rather than promotion part, too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, anybody can read your story now and look at you, look at you now and how you show up. It's like, oh, that's the miracle. Yeah. Like Like you said, like super loving. I respond to every single post. You know what I mean? Thank you so much. Like people are like, oh, my God. You know, it's like. Yeah, I'm a different person. I care about people. I'm not self-oriented anymore. I actually have empathy and I'm very outside oriented. You know what I mean? That was partly, you know, started with the work with the quadriplegic and then it was really cemented when I worked with Lily the baby and then, you know, and then just being part of this this sober community of women who a lot have reached out to me for help. Like, mm-hmm. I can't stop drinking and what do you suggest? Like help, I read your book and it gave me hope and I don't, you know, and it's like, I mean, I obviously only have so much time and energy, but I try and do what I can. And I'm not an addiction therapist or, you know what I mean? I'm not, yeah. I could just say, yeah. this is my experience and, you know, I hope it helps you and please don't give up and know that you can do it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was really oh huge. God. Our listeners are like in love with you, so I cannot wait. They're yeah. going to be so happy. Aww. Yeah, they are. True. They're going to be really pleased. But um, so we, as I emailed you about the pinking yes. shears. <laughs> I was like, ah, I woke up to that. I I like, oh, you know, I don't, uh, just so you know, I don't own any, Amy. I, that is not mine. <laughs> I wish I could sew. I mean, I'd love to be able to sew. You know, I sew, so, so I cool. do have pinking shears. Yeah. Whatever. Sa- Sandra has like, pinking shears. I was like, oh my God. I got to work on my humor in my email. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the part of the show. Like the word unruffled means to be calm and not agitated. And so we, we have this like unruffled toolbox that we ask our um, guests if they have like three things that they are kind of like their go-to things that they could share with our listeners that maybe, you know, they might adopt or get an idea from. So um, do you have okay. any? One of, yeah, of course. Um, one of the big things I do when I'm feeling really stressed out is um, I go get a cheap massage. Mm. I think it's huge. I mean, I go and it's like, just move that stuff out of my body and it makes me feel relaxed and I feel less, you know, I have less tension in my body and it's just nice to be, you know, touched and, you know, yeah. I mean, to me, I'm a very touchy person and so it's hard not being in a relationship or being slutty to not have any contact, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I'll take like a Thai guy just like rubbing me through a towel. It's like, okay, human contact, you know? I mean, there's times where I just go up to my neighbors who are really close friends of mine in the program and I'm like, I just need a hug, you guys. Mm-hmm. You no, know? and it's like, so um, I I do cheap massage. To me, that's a way that I really calm down. I like that. Um, and plus also being a writer, you're like sort of hunched over the keyboard all the time so it's really easy to sort of you know get tight yeah Uh, and I hold a lot of tension in my body you know a lot of emotion and stuff in my body um that's one thing well sleep we already talked about that's partly because I like to unplug and check out and I'm gonna start now Alcoholics Anonymous but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I want to join that (laughs) and and, you know and the epilepsy medication but another thing that I use I definitely meetings like, even if I don't want to go and I go and I just, oh God, you know, I, I have regular meetings where there are people who know me and love me and I can feel connected and it just shifts everything. So, I agree. Being, I, it usually helps me the most when I don't want to go. Like today, I don't want to go, but I'm going. Of course. <laughs> Always when you don't want to go, you're like, oh, And then I just, and it's like the one place you can cry in public in front of strangers. Like I've tried it at the bank and it doesn't work that well. You know what I mean? Like, so different reaction. uh, Yeah. Um, so it just feels like you can just share and you know, you get to hold hands again, again, for me, physical contact is really important and just feel like I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. And it kind of just, you know, you read the acceptance, you hear a story, people share, blah, blah. And the other thing that, you know, I do a lot um, to calm down is breath work. I do breath work for recovery. I do breath work um, for people in recovery. And it's in, it's, it's for, you know, you're in, you can be in recovery from anything. And, is this an um, L.A. thing or is this something uh, that people uh, can it, find no, in their cities? You can, breath, you can Google breathworkforrecovery.com, I think is the thing. Um, 
I think it's moving to different cities. It's, I think it's based spe- specifically in LA, but I think they're expanding. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a way to, you know, you, as, as addicts, we overthink. As alcoholics and addicts, we overthink so much. And even the program can be very thinking, thinking, thinking. You know what I mean? Like, what a character mm-hmm. defect? And what's my part? And da, 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 da. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, breathwork can be another way to sort of like access feelings without your head. And know. so what I feel mm-hmm. is like I feel like emotions come up and I, they have like no real sort of thoughts attached to them. So it's like I cry a lot in it. I'm a big crier. Um, so and, and yoga, too. I mean, I've got, I'm starting to get into yoga, which again is something I've always made fun of. Right. But, <laughs> so I'm finding for me meetings, but I, as someone who's very much in their head, I got to get into my body to calm down. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. That's, you know, yeah. breath work. Yeah. You know, I used to exercise. I'd like to do that again um, someday. Um, you know, what? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, massage, like getting into the body and getting mm-hmm. out of my head. Is the like way that. that I can calm down because my head is just tells me crazy stuff and just like it'll all ruminate and get in a weird cycle and it's like I just need to turn it off. I so. like that. Thank you. Those are good. Those are yeah. all good. And thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you in LA. I know. That's so exciting. I can't believe you guys are going to be there. That's so great. Yeah, it's going to, it was, um, my friend Natalie, she was like, the day that it was registration, it was like 901, she's texting me. She's like, have you signed up yet? <laughs> it was like no they sold like a third of the tickets already i didn't even know who the speakers were i just signed up and then i looked at the speaker page maybe half an hour later and i was like oh amy's that's awesome amy's gonna be i didn't so it didn't really you know don and taryn are like, such I'm going amy's there i'm going i'm like yeah. oh my god yeah no pressure like <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I, I think sandra needs to design a pantsuit for you um oh i don't yeah. know if i can do that <laughs> i have the pantsuit in mind that I think you should wear. So uh, yeah. Maybe you can send her a picture. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh. I, mean, I might, you know, I've got a friend, I've got a friend in the program who's a big stylist. And so I'm going to like, she helped me like look presentable and court, court sort of court clean for the doctors. You know what I mean? They had a very <laughs> specific, like, like a uh, wardrobe thing. And I was like, eh, it was like none of what I had none of it. You couldn't wear your vintage tees? You couldn't wear wear those? Don't wear this. Don't wear this. You should wear this. I'm like, I own none of those kind of clothes. Like, oh, my God. So um, (laughs) I might engage her and say, you know. But, yeah, but, I mean, I could wear sparkly. I could wear, you know. I like 70s stuff. So I might do, like, a 70s dress or a 70s, like, Indian glimmery pantsuit or whatever. You know, I don't know. I'll rock it out. It's going to be good. Certainly you will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no doubt. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. We really appreciate this. And and, uh, I'm sure our listeners will, too. Thank you guys for having me. I had so much fun. Yeah. Good. Have a great day. Bye, guys. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.